Thank you, choir, for that fun and, and beautiful song. And as Miss Jerry said, uh, they were having to reach deep into the roster to get uh, people for, for her for, uh, choir today. But it sounded great. Good job to all of you for, for presenting that. Yes, sir. Just so you know, I'm a testament of the fact you don't have to be able to sing. Y'all just come on up and help. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, as we begin our time of worship today, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Word of God that teaches us who we are and who you are. And Lord, in this world, we have a a tainted mirror that we look into to see who we are. We have a a reflection that isn't quite accurate, isn't quite the way things are. And, And as a result of that, we have a world that is distorted. We have people who live in ways that do not glorify you. They live by their own lust and their own desires. And because of that, we have a, war, a world that is turned in on itself, a, war that is ra- a world that is raging against itself. And Lord, we know that you speak truth into this corrupt and fallen world. You call things as they are. You say what things really are. And so, Father, I pray that you would reveal that today as we take this this hard word of the way things really are and we apply it to our lives and to our world and we see things clearly. We see through uh, the eyes of the creator and not the eyes of the creation. Pray that you would bless us now in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So this morning we're getting back into our study in the book of Romans and we're going to continue in Romans chapter 1. If you want to go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 24 through 32. And last week we saw that Paul begins this argument about the way things are in our world. And he begins to explain that the wrath of God is revealed against humanity because, of their, because they have exchanged the truth of God and who He is and who He reveals Himself to be for a lie. And so they could know God, they could look at creation and see the way things are in our world and the way things God has, the way God has made things, and they could tell who God is through that creation. And yet, even though they knew God, they did not worship Him as God. And so they instead, they worshiped themselves or they worshiped the creation. And I explained last week that this sinful rebellion against humanity or of humanity is what scholars call the great exchange. That men and women have taken what God has revealed in creation and they have exchanged it for a lie. And so now we pick back up on the second part of Paul's argument in Romans chapter 1 by looking more in detail at this great exchange from Romans chapter 1 verses 24 through 32. And so follow along with me as I read Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 32. God's Word says, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creator, or the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. 
And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they do not only do them, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Let me turn my mic down real quick. We'll turn it down a little bit. So I, this was going to require me to yell, so I don't want it to be too loud when I do. Uh, <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, so in this passage, I want you to see three points today. First of all, I want you to see the exchange of praise. Second, the exchange of passions. And lastly, the exchange of patterns. But before we get into those three points, we need to do a little bit of Old Testament Bible work. So if you will, just hold your finger in Romans chapter 1 and flip back with me to the very beginning of the book, to Genesis chapter 1. And I want to read just a few verses from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26, we have here the record of the creation of man, which says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over all livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So, One of the truths that stands out if you read, go back and read the full creation story of Genesis 1 is the way that God has created an orderly world. From the very beginning, God speaks to a chaotic and primordial world and order comes out of chaos. Light appears where there was once only darkness. 
The sky separates from the ocean and atmosphere is formed where once there was only vacuum. Dry land appears where once there was only water. Seasons and times are marked out by the sun and the moon and the stars. And then God begins to create the various living creatures. And as you read that story of God creating the creatures of earth, you'll notice that there's a line in each of those creation stories of, or, or each, each of those acts of creation where God says that he made them all according to their kind. So do you see what God is doing in all of this? He is making distinctions. He is drawing boundaries between water and earth, between sky and water, between the sun and the moon and the light and the darkness, between the animals and their created orders. He is bringing order. And over all of that distinction and order, God declares it to be good. And then at the pinnacle of his creation, God declares that he will make man and woman. And from the very beginning of that creation, it is different from the rest of it, which is a distinction in itself. For one, he pauses and deliberates over the creation of man. With the creation of everything else, he just speaks and it comes to be. But in creation of man and woman, he he writes poetry to describe how he's going to create them. Second, he makes them in his image. And then lastly, he gives them dominion over the rest of creation. Humanity is different. They are of the earth, but they are not bound by it. Rather, they're commanded to rule over it and to bring God's order to reign in the rest of his creation. So this is why the rest of the story, particularly in Genesis chapter 3, is so tragic. You see, Satan didn't just set out to give Adam and Eve a bad day. He didn't just set out to make them disobey God or to tempt them to disobey God. He came to turn God's good order on its head. He breaks the order of creation by speaking through a serpent. He breaks the order of the family by speaking to Eve instead of Adam. He breaks the order of God's rule by questioning whether God really said what he had said. And he breaks the worship of God by tempting Adam and Eve to become like God in their knowledge. In this great and tragic sin, humanity and the world were cursed. And from that curse... Disorder followed. So in Genesis chapter 4, the beauty of man as the image bearer of God is disordered as Cain slays his brother Abel. Also in Genesis chapter 4, the blessing of marriage is disordered as Lamech takes two wives. And finally, the summation of all of that is found, or the culmination of all of that is found in Genesis 11 when the, um, the call of God for man to bring God's rule over the whole world is disordered. As the people of Babel build a tower and all gather into one place to make a name for themselves. The direct 
consequence, the direct, and understand what I mean, the direct consequence of rebellion against God is not freedom. We are not freed from God and freed from all constraints when we rebel against God. Rather, the direct consequence of rebellion against God, it's disorder and chaos. So back in Romans chapter 1, when Paul says that the wrath of God is revealed against uh, humanity, this is the way that it's revealed. The wrath of God is revealed through disorder and chaos. And we see those consequences in what Paul says in our passage today. So first, we see the exchange of praise. Paul says in verse 24 that God gave them up to the lust of their hearts. Now, I want you to notice two things from that statement, two truths from that statement. First, God's wrath is revealed against humanity by giving humanity what it really wants or what it says it wants. In this whole passage, if you go back and read verses 24 through 20, uh, 32, you'll notice that Paul says the phrase gave them up three different times in verse 24, verse 26 and verse 28. Now, this phrase literally means in the Greek, it literally means self imprisonment. Now, a lot of people read this statement and they think that this means that God gives people, gives up on people. In other words, that you can go so far in your sin that God quits trying to bring you back and he quits giving you grace and he quits trying to reach you. But that's not what's going on here. Instead, God is, reveal, is revealing his wrath by allowing men and women to imprison themselves in the consequences of their sins. You see, friend, your sin may feel good, it may look good, it may taste good, but it is a death trap. My, my dad uses the analogy of trapping raccoons. My dad grew up trapping game, and, and he says that the easiest game to trap is a raccoon. Because all you need is the trap and a shiny piece of tinfoil. And you can take that piece of tinfoil and you can put it on the trigger of that trap and that raccoon cannot resist that shiny object. He has to come by and slap at that. And when he slaps at that, wham! The trap is set and he's dead. Sin is like that shiny object that allures us and brings us into the trap of our own sin. And at the end of the day, all it is, is just a piece of tinfoil. Sin will ultimately lead to your entrapment. Second, notice that God gives them up to the lust of their flesh, to dishonoring their bodies because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship the creation rather than the Creator. They exchanged the praise of the one true God for the pursuit of their own lust. So the consequence of that exchange is that they dishonored their bodies. 
Oh, think of how desperately humanity runs after its own lust. Men will literally destroy themselves for the lust of a woman. Men will literally launch a thousand ships for the beauty of one woman. Men will march into war because of their desires for lust. Women will allow their bodies to waste away or will mutilate themselves in the pursuit of praise of beauty. And both men and women will give up their own health and their own long-term life and health for the sake of the next high. And they would do all of this because they would rather have a momentary satisfaction of that lust than the delight of a relationship with the one true God. Next, I want you to see the exchange of passions. So in verse 26 and 27, Paul says that this exchange goes beyond the lust to the very natural order that God has created. So as we've already read, God made us male and female. And in that gendered order, he gave us certain desires and passions that we naturally pursue. And those natural passions are good in themselves because God has made us for them. He has made man for woman and woman for man, as Paul says. But in our rebellion, Paul says that humanity exchanges those natural passions for those who, as Paul puts it, are contrary to nature. And Paul gives the homosexual relationship as the clearest evidence of this. Now, there are two popular errors that we have or, or about homosexuality that Paul challenges here. First, Paul's statements challenge the popular opinion of our society that homosexuality is a sexual identity that God has created in a person, and therefore, because God has created him like that or her like that, he approves of it. Now, I don't think that, the, that God's word could be any clearer than it is right here. And that is to say that homosexuality is a sinful condition that goes against nature and is an exchanging of the ordered creation that God has made. The second popular error is one that many Christians make. And that is to say that homosexuality, or to imply at least, that homosexuality is a sin that goes beyond redemption. Christians can often treat homosexuality as an ultimate unforgivable sin. But notice that Paul gives it as just one example of the ways in which humanity has exchanged the truth of God for a lie. If you'll notice further down in verse 28, he goes on to list gossips and people who are disobedient to their parents and those who are faithless and heartless and all of those things. So homosexuality is a quintessential example of how we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. But it is not the only sin that betrays our rebellion. Now that's not to minimize it. 
or to say that it's not a sin, because I think oftentimes what we do when we say, well, homosexuality isn't even any worse than any other sin, we, I think, imply in that that everybody can do what they want. And that's not what I'm saying at all. But it is not beyond the saving work to re- uh, work of God to redeem someone who is given to that sin. It is important that we understand that the root sin of someone who is given to homosexuality is not their homosexuality. The root sin is their rejection of and failure to worship the one true God. Therefore, we should give every effort that we can to preaching redemption in Jesus Christ, not focusing on the need for the homosexual to, quote, get right. They will not get right until they come to Christ for forgiveness and redemption. And when they do, God will give them the power to resist their temptation and even turn away from it. So finally, notice the exchange of patterns in verse 28 through 32. In these verses, Paul goes on to list many other sins to which God has given humanity over. Now, I've already said that there's no sin that is worse than another, and this, these group of passages prove that. Rather, all sin is evidence of humanity's rebellion against the God of the universe. Right. Gossip and faithlessness are just as much proof of our rebellion as homosexuality is. Yet the most condemning statement, in my opinion, that Paul can make is made in verse 32. Those who have exchanged the truth of God for a lie do not just practice these sins, but they approve of others who do them. Boy, if there is ever a statement about our society, it is that right there. It is not enough that we would tolerate transgenderism, but we have to also include it in the sex education of our schools. It is not enough that we allow unbridled sexual behavior, but we must pay to abort the children who are a result of it. It is not enough that two men can get married, but a Christian baker must also bake a cake for their wedding. In our rebellion, we exchange the patterns that God has established in his law for new patterns that are contrary to that very law. These rebellious patterns are are ultimately self-destructive. Just think about it. Thanks to 50 years of sexual liberation, the birth rate in America has fallen well below the replacement rate, which means that we aren't having enough babies in our country to replace those who are dying and support the economy or the social services that we need when we're old. Thanks to 20 years of liberality with respect to drug use, We now have an unhinged society in which a mentally unstable man pushes a woman in front of a train. By exchanging the pattern of God's orderly creation for patterns of our own lust, we create a society that will eat itself. A society imprisoned 
by its own sin. Friend, you may think that you're free. You may think that your rebellion against God and any constraints, any rules may set you free. But you are really living in a prison of your own making. Your sin will destroy you. And the ultimate judgment is one of eternal torment in hell. But the good news is that God has done what you could not do through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived in complete obedience to His Father. He did not exchange the truth of God for a lie. Even when He was 40 days starving in a wilderness and tempted to turn bread, uh, rocks into bread in order to feed Himself, He would not disobey His Father and exchange the kingdom of God for the kingdoms of this world. Amen. He was obedient to His Father in everything. And He died on the cross for your sins to pay the penalty for your sins. And He rose again from the dead so that you might have eternal life. And that eternal life is, yes, a future life with Him in glory, but it is also a life that is rightly ordered now. It is a life that is lived in the Spirit, set free from the bondage of sin and the judgment that is to come on the whole world because of that sin. Won't you trust in Jesus Christ today. Amen. Brothers and sisters, because we have been saved by Christ, our lives have been reordered around Him. That means that we know the truth and we have a heart to do it. It also means that we are called to live ordered lives in a disordered world. Amen. We are called to live Uh, We are called to live out true godly love for our neighbor in a world that hates each other. We are called to display the beauties and blessings of marriage as God intended it to be while the world seeks to redefine it. We are to glorify God by worshiping, worshiping Him in everything we do while the world worships the God of their own lusts. May we turn back the lies of this world by honoring our God as we live in it. Have you ever wondered why the world hates Christians? Why they despise the way that we live? Why they would love nothing more than to imprison us? And in some countries they do that very thing when they are given the the tyranny to do so. It's because we testify to a rightly ordered world in a world that has disorder and chaos. And so when we live in obedience to God's commands, when we live in obedience to the call of the Spirit in our lives, we are speaking back to the world the truth that it denies. And therefore, we should live in a way that glorifies God while this world denies Him in the face of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the truth that reveals who we are and who You are. And Father, I pray that we would be changed by it. That we would be faithful to live in a way that glorifies You, even when it is hard, even when this world wars against it. And that we would be faithful to look strange to a world that is disordered, in order that we might show what the real life 
in God looks like. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.